Gambling on football, you say. Well, well, well. If you've done it before, you want to get back into it, or you just want another place to reliably play where you know when you win, you're going to get paid. Because remember, that's the whole deal. Winning is nice, getting paid even nicer. Thank you, Mr. X, for the comment. Bottom line is this, my bookie, mybookie.ag. They've been with us now for two seasons. They are a solid book. They pay when you win, and they are very straightforward. Plus, they've got a great array of ways that you can wager on games, an excellent interface, excellent mobile app as well, and great customer service. You know, there have been a small number of hiccups along the way, and people have emailed me directly and said, hey, I had a problem with my bookie. I send one email, boom, off to my rep at my bookie, and the problem is fixed like that. MyBookie.ag. Now listen, if you want to maybe bet a little bit and win big, try some parlays. They're kind of hard to hit, but they're fun to play, right? Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's MyBookie.ag, one of the best in the business. It's where I play. It's where I recommend you have an account as well because you can never have too many. And right now, joining MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo to activate the offer. That's promo code ZABE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Today on the Zabecast, if this is a dream, don't wake me up. The Washington Nationals are on that kind of a run of destiny. Shh, you'll jinx it, Zabe. We got a parental peacocking discussion to talk about with Daniel Hudson. Week six in the NFL on a roll and a two-hour smashing record in running. Your bonus, 40 minutes of gloriously uncensored me is locked and loaded. So buckle up and let's go. (laughs) Here we go. Monday, October 14, 2019. Happy Columbus Day, everybody, and thank you for downloading. Game three tonight, Nationals, Cardinals in D.C. We are going to be there at uh, good old Walters Sports Bar uh, just outside the right field foul pole. The left, actually, the left field foul pole uh, at, Nat Par- at Nats Park. Scott and I will be there. Uh, 4 to 7 p.m. on the Team 980. Come on by and say hi if you are in the D.C. area and you're going to the game on Monday night. Are you going to the game? Are you going to the game? Um, I'm going home (laughs) because, A, I do like the home experience. B, I don't have a ticket. C, you got the Packers on on a huge divisional game on Monday night against the Detroit Lions, and I've got to watch that as well. And luckily, I've got a place with three TVs all in one room, and I can just kind of keep an eye on everything. It'd be great fun. Saturday night was just so glorious with the baseball and the college football going on. And if you wanted to mix in some hockey, you could do that as well. That's just why you have three TVs. But anyway, what a start for the Nationals. What a start for the Nationals. I know a lot of series left, a lot of series left. And you know what, you know what momentum is next day starter. And they, they got this kid Flaherty going, Hey, Hey, Flaherty, Jack Flaherty throws absolute smoke, but we've got a pretty good guy going as well tonight in Steven Strasburg. So, you know, 
I like our chances. The fact that both Annabelle Sanchez and or Sanchez, not Sanchez, Annabelle Sanchez and Max Scherzer threw back to back back to back no hitters deep into the game into the seventh and sixth innings or eighth and sixth the eighth and seventh innings, whatever it was. The Cardinals is like, bro, do you even hit Cardinals? Like, what, what's what's the problem here? Sanchez with that mariposa ball, the butterfly ball that he throws, that floater ball, which is sort of a knuckler but sort of not and just has a mind of its own. And then Scherzer in the shadows in the afternoon on Saturday. Thank you, television. Oh, we got to put it on the late afternoon. Can't play a day game in, in, in the postseason. Oh, no. Oh, TV would not allow that. Stupid. I was there at 3.30 in the afternoon, ready to go. Actually, fourth, no, 4.05, whatever. I was in front of the TV at 3.30 for the Badger game. More on that in a second. But yeah, um, San, you know, Scherzer in the shadows was going to be almost impossible to hit. Wainwright was almost the same. But the Nats had just a little bit more. And it's so great to see them do this to a team that is so universally disliked around baseball. And I know for you Cardinal fans listening, all six of you on the podcast, you hate us because we're good. To which I say, you're right. That's exactly why I hate you. And I hate the the sort of the worshiping of the best fans in baseball and everything else. What I hate about the Cardinals is their stupid beards. Led by Brebia, this reliever. That that beard is the dumbest fucking thing ever. What do you walk around like, hey, hey, look at this beard, man. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. Looks nice, doesn't it? Yeah. It's red and it just flares out like a stupid-ass clown beard. Oh, what, your team doesn't have any beards? I didn't say I like my team's beards, but I hate your team's beards. Matt Carpenter's beard is easily number two on my list of, what the fuck is that? Get that off your face. That said, all I tweeted on Saturday night, or actually on Friday night, was, is this a dream? And people then started bombarding me with shh emojis and you'll jinx it tweets. No. Did I say, oh my God, this is a dream. We're so going to throw a no hitter. And even if we don't, this bullpen is totally locked down without Daniel Hudson. I'm not worried at all. No, that's not what I tweeted. I just tweeted, is this a dream? Annabelle Sanchez is throwing a fucking no hitter. I'm watching it. And I'm like, this can't be real, can it? Pinch, pinch, pinch. And then Scherzer the next day. I mean, wow. So, and then of course you had the plays like Zim stop against Etman in game one. And then you had Eaton the next day against that same little punk. And I'm like, damn, it might be our year. Shh, you're going to jinx it. I'm not a jinx. Come on. You're not going to let me ask the question, is this our year? Do I need to start playing eastbound and down as a as a companion celebration? Don't you think with all of the dude bro bonding that went on between the Nationals and the Capitals, pro athlete to pro athlete, that they were so supportive of the baseball team, so supportive of the hockey team, now they're returning the favor with Ovi and everyone else. Wouldn't it be perfect if they were to win the World Series? Dude, they haven't even won this series. What are you saying? Why are you doing this? I don't know. I'm just a sports fan. I'm just a little kid that likes to dream. 
So maybe those two defensive plays, or at least one of them, was sort of like Holtby's paddle save in Game 2 at the Stanley Cup Finals that helped them preserve a 3-2 win. And maybe Kendrick's grand slam was like Kuzi's breakaway to end the series in Pittsburgh in the year they went to the Stanley Cup Finals and won. I'm just saying, maybe. I don't know. And then there was Doolittle getting it done on the mound in the absence of Daniel Hudson. When the news broke on Friday... Oh yeah, our closer, he won't be there for the game. What what what? Yeah, no, he's uh he's his his wife is pregnant and uh their child is a little late. So yeah, he will not be available. Not gonna pitch. Has to be there with the mom. I stated my absolute unquivering opposition to this sort of thing in its entirety. But I qualified it with the following. I said, look, there's always a sliding set of considerations. Had it been Wander Suero, shit, we would have said, Wander, take the day off, take the week off, if that's what you need. Hunter Strickland, same thing. If it was a less important position player or a bench guy or a pinch hitter or maybe a starter whose turn was not up in the rotation, you'd say, fine, miss the game. But my golly, He is your closer. This is a super important, unique position. And there is something I believe in firmly, which is, as a man, you do your job. Like Belichick says, do your job. And in sports, you make a commitment to the team and your teammates. Hold that thought. I know you're going to say, but his teammates supported him. It's not the point. It worked out, didn't it? It's not the point. The point is, he was and is an indispensable piece of this team that is making a run at a world championship, which does not come around but once in a lifetime if you're lucky. Or a couple times if you're a Yankee, but whatever. I don't believe in, I have to be there for the birth. If there is a severe and serious medical condition Okay, that's different. If perhaps it's your first child, okay, that's a little bit different as well. Like I said, if you're not so important, then that's different as well. But this guy is and was important. I just can't get down with it because being a good dad, it ain't a day one thing. It's an everyday thing. It's a, I need to be a good dad for years and years to come. Oh, you were there for the birth. The child's not going to remember the birth. I believe uh, my friend and colleague, and I love him to death, Mark Zuckerman said something to the effect, because I believe David Sampson, the disgraced former executive with the Florida Marlins, tweeted out, and that was his big mistake, never, never put your opinions on Twitter. Put them in a podcast like this so you can be expansive about them. You can elaborate about them. And people are too lazy then to try to email around a link to a podcast going, did you hear what he said? Listen to the entirety of his comments. It's uh, seven minutes in and it lasts about uh, four and a half. Nah, ain't, no, ain't nobody got time for that. They get a tweet though. They get a hot tweet that is easily click, click, two thumbs, retweetable, and you add your own shaming comments. How dare you? Well, that's too easy. A million people are going to do that. Idiot, Samson. Never, never put your strong opinions that are contrary 
to conventional wisdom or political correctness. Never put those on Twitter. Crazy. But he did. And so Mark Zuckerman said, and bless his heart, I'm just paraphrasing, something about, you know what? He did the right thing and he'll never have to look his daughter in the eye and tell her that a baseball game was more important than her. Oh, God. Come on, Mark. <laughs> Listen, I got daughters. It's not how that works. By the time they turn 15, 16, 17, believe me, you worrying about whether they think you were there for them or whether a baseball game was more important than them 16 years ago, it's nowhere in the fucking picture. That's all. And you say, well, but family comes first. Family comes first. Oh, you're right. You know, I have another family obligation. Oh, yeah, what's that? Um, My sister-in-law is getting married, and I'm supposed to stand up in the wedding. So I'll be missing games four and five for that. It's a long weekend. It's a destination weekend. The fuck? No. But you said family comes. This is a family thing. What if grandmother slips and falls and breaks her hip? You know, gravity being the constant and mortal enemy of the old. Always stalking, always waiting. What then? You think it'd be okay to uh, say, you know, my grandma's in the hospital. She's really, I need to be there for her. I just do. Family comes first. Remember, this is just a silly baseball game. You know, the baby was born early on uh, Friday morning. A lot of us said, so... Born in the morning, could have been there for a couple hours afterwards. You could have high-fived the nurses, high-fived other family members and be gone and easily be there for time for game time, even warm up. No? Why not? And yet, if you were to express these opinions, you were derided as a monster and they attempted to shame you into, you're wrong about this. Doolittle, sticking up for his teammates, said, To think that anybody would have anything else to say about a guy whose wife just had a child and he was there for it, other than congratulations, I hope everyone's healthy, that guy is an asshole. No, do. That guy is me. You're an asshole. Okay. I walked into that one. No, anyone who disagrees is not necessarily an asshole. They just might be somebody with a different line. A different soft and gray area line of, well, yeah, okay, you know, you're sort of important, but we can let you go, and that's a family thing, but what kind of a family thing is it? And I mean, there's all kinds of family traumas all the time. And some would argue that giving birth is not necessarily a trauma. I mean, it's very hard, from what I've been told. (laughs) But yeah, it's not something that doesn't happen all the time without the father present. Sadly, in America, the father is less and less present, not just at birth, but in the lives of children now, more and more all the time. So it can be done. So for everybody who wrote the articles about he had his priorities in order, tell me this. Had he left his wife with the blessing of his wife and handed her off to his wife's sister, and mother and other support staff and family and the best doctors in the world and kept in touch via cell phone, would you have written the same column, Mr. Newspaper Writer, Mrs. Newspaper Writer, Mrs. Professional Cluck Cluck Tut Tutter, would you write the same column saying, I can't believe he left his wife 
to go pitch in a game. No. No, you would not have done that. Because if she gave her blessing and he said, okay, you're in good hands, I got to be there for my teammate, then who are you to judge? So unless you write it both ways, unless you're willing to write the other side of it when that happens, if you firmly believe that no matter what, if you're a person in sports, you have to be there for the birth of your child, no matter which child it is, then you better write it the next time an athlete says, you know what, I I can't miss this game. Because I can guarantee you this, if it's game seven of the World Series and Max Scherzer is due to start and he takes that game off uh, to give the ball to somebody else of far less ability and they lose game seven because he just had to be there going, push, push, oh, that's great. Then guess what? That's not going to sit so well. It's a sliding scale. It has a lot of considerations. My line was simply drawn under, nah, dude, you're our closer. It's game one of the NLCS. I can't get with this. I'm sorry. It's your third child as well. Plus, you're a ball player. I mean, come on. I know he might be a very humble, religious, God-fearing ball player. Those do exist. Anyway, all that said, mazel mazel, good things. Baby's healthy. Mom is doing fine. Third child in the Hudson family. Came back for game two. Got his job done in the ninth. Bing, bang, boom. What's the problem? There ain't no problem. But that's my opinion. I'm not judging. I'm giving my opinion. I think that's what I'm doing. And then there's this. Wisconsin registers their fourth shutout of the year. They sweep all Michigan opponents on their schedule. They have outscored the University of Central Michigan State by something like 134 to 14. (laughs) Quarterback Jack Cohn is balling out. JT23 is having a Heisman year. Whether or not he actually wins it doesn't matter. And the defense is just flat out suffocating. Now comes the real guts of the schedule. And Ohio State is their El Guapo. Make no mistake. Two weeks from now, we can't wait. It's in uh, Ohio. So we'll see. Georgia steps on their dicks. Wow, oh wow. Right after my guest on Friday from Barstool said, no, I believe in Georgia. And there they go. Talk about a painful loss to a South Carolina team that just was not that good. They just gave it to him. And Jake Fromm, <laughs> yeah, uh, costed himself some money, I think, with that game. LSU escapes a feisty Florida entertaining game at night. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. You got to love it or your get Go Tigers. Clemson rolls. Well, nobody was really looking at Oklahoma. Handled Texas in a game that was pretty interesting. That's one of the ones really on my – I mean, all these college showdowns are on my bucket list. All of them. Alabama, Auburn, bunch of other SEC games, LSU at night. Definitely, though, the Red River rivalry uh, or the Red River shootout, which they don't call it anymore. Um, Oklahoma, Texas. I have seen more pictures over the years on the internet of super hot Oklahoma chick wearing cutoff shirt and jeans and shorts and super hot Texas chick. Little cheek tattoo, just going to the game. Wow. I want to go to that. Gambling on football, you say? Well, well, well. If you've done it before, you want to get back into it, or you just want another place to reliably play, where you know when you win, you're going to get paid, because remember, that's the whole deal. Winning is nice, getting paid even nicer. Thank you, Mr. X, for the comment. 
Bottom line is this, my bookie, mybookie.ag. They've been with us now for two seasons. They are a solid book. They pay when you win, and they are very straightforward. Plus, they've got a great array of ways that you can wager on games, an excellent interface, excellent mobile app as well, and great customer service. You know, there have been a small number of hiccups along the way, and people have emailed me directly and said, hey, I had a problem with my bookie. I send one email, boom, off to my rep at my bookie, and the problem is fixed like that. MyBookie.ag. Now listen, if you want to maybe bet a little bit and win big, try some parlays. They're kind of hard to hit, but they're fun to play, right? Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's MyBookie.ag, one of the best in the business. It's where I play. It's where I recommend you have an account as well because you can never have too many. And right now, joining MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo to activate the offer. That's promo code ZABE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Week six in the NFL. Let's go ahead and run it down for you. It only took me about an hour or so to get all this information nicely typed up. You're just doing your job. Yeah, I know. Just want to prove my dedication to providing you fresh NFL box scores and analysis on a Monday morning. Bad Jameis Winston is back, apparently. And now what about Cam next week? Cam, Cam, Carolina. Runs over Tampa Bay in London, 37-26. to 26. Game was deceptively close in the final score, but this was an ugly one for Tampa Bay. Jameis Winston threw it 54 times, did have 400 yards in the air, but five interceptions, two fumbles, one loss, that's six turnovers. Oof. Christian McCaffrey, two touchdowns in this game, but only 22 carries for 31 yards. The quality, though, of his two touchdowns were simply amazing. You have to see the highlights. One of them, he burrowed into the end zone after being stacked up about the three-yard line, and somehow he got in. The other one was on a little screen pass where he threw the sickest double-shoulder juke in mid-stride that literally took a Tampa defender off his feet. Then he stiff-armed a guy. Then he did a spin move. It was literally... Right trigger, left button, X, Y, two at once, boom, into the end zone like he was a kid beating you in Madden. Carolina's now 4-2, and two, Tampa's 2-4. Two and four. Both teams have a bye coming back from London. Carolina's at the Niners next week. It'll be a great Christian McCaffrey return to the Bay Area. The uh, Panthers, mean, or excuse me, the uh, Buccaneers are at the Titans after their bye. Oh, yeah, one more thing. There was a rare free kick field goal attempt in this game. Uh, because Carolina was able to catch a punt from the end zone uh, with basically just a couple seconds left in the half. And so they lined up like a kickoff, and it was a free kick for a field goal. I don't think one has been converted a free kick field goal in the NFL in like 30 or 40 or more years. But it was tried on Sunday. Deshaun Watson is a a superstar, period, amen, end of story. Houston beats Kansas City 31-24. to Tyreek Hill did come back for Kansas City. He had a spectacular touchdown catch plus a second one. But Mahomes was barely over 50%. He did have three touchdowns on the day. Had one interception, which was a total bullshit call. More on that 
after I'm done with the rundown. Houston's Carlos Hyde, 26 carries, a buck 16, and a touchdown. And uh, it's too bad that this great game with superstar quarterbacks, talent all over the place, had 21 accepted penalties and nearly a dozen more either declined or offsetting. Oof. Both teams are now 4-2. and two. Houston is at the Colts next week. Kansas City is at the Broncos on Thursday night. The Redskins escape Miami with a one-point win, 17-16, on a failed two-point conversion by the Dolphins with just six seconds to go. They went for the gusto. They went for the win. They had already taken Josh Rosen-Rosen, Rosen-Penis. Where the hell's the record room? They took him out of the game, so it was... Uh, Fitzgerald in there, and uh, they went for two to win it. Thank God for that. Nobody wanted to see overtime. The game really lived down to expectations. Yes, Adrian Peterson got fed like a slot machine by Bill Callahan. He had 23 carries, 118 yards, had a chance at a touchdown on multiple runs, didn't get in, frustrated us fantasy owners who had started him this week going, oh, he's going to get a lot of carries. He can still make sick jump cuts, and it's amazing that he's doing what he's doing at his age. But guess what? Against any other team, this is a formula to get destroyed. Uh, Terry McLaurin is really, really good for the Redskins. That was the one real bright spot. Four catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns. The rest of the team, eh, you can pretty much have it, except for John Allen. I like him. Uh, Fitzmagic did come in for Rosen, who looked awful. However, uh, they say that Rosen's going to be the starter next week at Buffalo. The Redskins host the Niners. Oh, isn't that great? Washington 1-5, and five, they host the 5-0 and oh Niners, and Kyle Shanahan in his return to FedEx Field. Dolphins are 0-5 as they take on the Bills on the road. Baker Mayfield and the underwhelming Browns got beat by Seattle late. They had them, I don't want to say dead to rights, but they had a great start to the game. 20-6 lead, and it slipped away. Seattle wins on the road 32-28. Eight, your final score. Browns were in pretty good shape. They had the ball with over two and a half minutes to go, and they start a drive. Mayfield throws behind one of his receivers. It bounces off his hands, boop, right into a defender. Uh, I think it was K.J. Wright for Seattle. Uh, Wilson had another clean day on the stat sheet. Two touchdowns, no INTs. Uh, he ran for 31 yards as well. Baker Mayfield, three picks. Two of them, like I said, not his fault. He did hurt his hip in this game went into the tunnel to get it looked at, came back in the game despite a limp. Nick Chubb had a big day, two touchdowns, 122 yards. They tried to force it to Odell Beckham, I thought. They got him six catches for 101 yards, but he was not a factor in this game. He's not been a factor all year. And afterwards, Mayfield ripped the refs. The Browns are 0-3 at home, and they are what many of us thought they might actually be, off-season champions. Uh, worst news for Seattle, though, is that tight end Will Disley left the stadium on crutches. He injured his Achilles. He could be done for the year. Last year, his season ended on an injury, and he was really starting to break out this year. Seattle will host the Ravens next week. Cleveland has a bye, and then they're at New England after that. So the fun times continue for the Cleveland Browns. Kirk Cousins stuffed Eagles linebacker Zach Brown into a garbage can. Minnesota routes Philadelphia 38-20, to your final score, and Cousins was spectacular. Of course, Brown was the guy that said, oh yeah, he's the weak link on that team. You want to make him throw the ball. Oh, do you? Cousins was throwing missiles. In fact, he only had one pick on the day, and it was Diggs' fault, but he hit Stephon Diggs for three touchdowns, and they, were, they included bombs of 62 
151 yards. And you have to say to yourself, hey, Diggs, what happened with not being happy? Like, he racked up $200,000 in fines, which apparently the team are not going to forgive. And I wouldn't, just by throwing a tantrum midseason. Minnesota's 4-2. and They looked very good against a quality Philly team that was missing their starting corners. So let's keep that in mind. Eagles ran a fake field goal in this game. It did not go well. And the Eagles also lost left tackle Jason Peters to a knee injury. They are not quite sure about when he could be back. Philadelphia is at Dallas this week. Minnesota, meanwhile, is at the Lions. Oh, snap. Have the Saints learned how to play defense? They hold the Jaguars to six points on the road. New Orleans wins 13-6 to move their record to 5-1. and one. Jacksonville's now 2-3. and three. Take that, Minshew mania. Gardner Minshew, not a good day. 14-29, no touchdowns, and a pick. Leonard Fournette had just 72 yards. The streak of Saints holding individual rushers to 100 yards or less is now 32 games and counting. Teddy B was okay, 24-36, but he did miss a couple wide-open potential touchdowns to Ginn and Thomas. He did hit Jared Cook for the only touchdown of the game. Alvin Kamara was a non-factor 11 for 31 fantasy players lodge your complaints somewhere else. Uh, Breeze could be back maybe as soon as next week, although doubtful. I think they're targeting after their bye week in week eight. So it looks like it could be a week nine return. But again, if they can play defense like this, this is a whole nother animal in New Orleans. Saints are at the Bears next week. Jacksonville is at Cincinnati. The funniest part of this game was earlier in the day, the Pope, like the real Pope, sent out a tweet in which he talked about, you know, thanking the Lord for all of our new saints. And he put a hashtag in front of saints. Thanks for all of our new hashtag saints. Well, Twitter's algorithm, boop, popped up a saints logo, the fleur de lis, after the Pope's tweet, which he surely did not mean the New Orleans football saints. Funny, funny. Lamar Jackson is a freaking magician. He ran for 152 yards as the Ravens beat the Bengals 23-17 in a game that was also not really that close. Bengals are still winless. They're 0-6. Baltimore improves to 4-2. Jackson's 152 yards rushing is the third highest single-day total in NFL history for a quarterback. Michael Vick has the number one and the number two spots in that ranking. Kaepernick, the fourth overall spot. Uh, in this game, he had one scramble, Lamar Jackson. Uh, you got to see it to believe it. It was vintage Vic. Like I said, it wasn't that close. Cincinnati got a touchdown on their opening kickoff, and they got a late garbage touchdown that covered the spread. Thanks for nothing. Uh, Cincinnati's run game was terrible. Joe Mixon, eight carries, 10 yards. That's an average of like, what, 1.2 or something? And as bad as Mixon was, Giovanni Bernard said, oh, hold my beer. He had four carries for four yards. Four for four. Yeah. That's good for a field goal kicker going four for four. A running back going four carries for four yards. No. No, just just sit down. Bengals host the Jaguars next week. The Ravens are at the Seahawks. First time they've been out west to Seattle since 2011. That is going to be a sexy intersectional matchup, as they say, AFC versus NFC. Jimmy Garoppolo versus Tom Brady in the Super Bowl is officially... On doesn't mean it's going to happen. It just means we can really start hyping it now. San Fran ran their record to five and zero. 
contrary to yours truly who thought they would be flat as a pancake, they punked the Rams. 20-7 to was your final score. Another game I am officially declaring that could have been a lot worse. The Rams are now 3-3 three and three in their Super Bowl loser hangover mode. That's a real thing, you know. The Super Bowl loser over the last 10 or so years has done very poorly the following season. I got to imagine there's some psychology to it like, shit, we were so close. We didn't win the big game. Now we got to do it all over again? Hell with that. I know this. The Rams offense was putrid. Jared Goff, 13 to 24 for 78 yards. Is, is this a misprint? 70, 78 yards passing? Rams were 0, and 0 for 9 on third down. They didn't have a pass longer than 12 yards. Gurley didn't play. Malcolm Brown did nothing. 11 carries for 40 yards. While Jimmy Gorgeous, 24 to 33, ran for a touchdown. Did have a fumble. Did have a pick in the end zone. That's why it could have been a lot more of a blowout. He did miss a wide open Tevin Coleman that uh, changed a seven-point score into a three-point score. But still, they're 5-0. and And the Niners, by the way, played without both of their starting offensive tackles, so take that for excuses. George Kittle, eight catches for 103 yards. Guy's amazing. Niners are at the Redskins, as I said. Kyle returns to FedEx Field. The Rams are at the Falcons, so a little bit of a soft spot to see if they can get back on track. Denver. The Vintage D is back, apparently. Seven sacks, three picks, and they chased Marcus Mariota from the game in blanking Tennessee 16 to nothing. Denver is 2-4 and four now. Tennessee is 2-4. and four. Mariota got benched after going 7 for 18 with two picks. King Henry, nothing. A pathetic 1.9 yards per carry on 15 totes. Flacco wasn't much better for Denver, but he didn't have to be. There were 17 punts in this game between these two offenses. Phillip Lindsay did have a touchdown. Denver is now not allowed a touchdown in nine consecutive quarters. And oh yeah, the Broncos called timeouts on not one, but two special teams plays. Nothing like burning timeouts on special teams. Tennessee hosts the Chargers this week. Denver hosts the Chiefs. Happy birthday, Jera, you drunken old dirty billionaire. 75 years old, and what did he get for it? A big, fat loss. The Jets punch the Cowboys in the face and keep punching. 24-22, your final score. The Jets' first win of the year. They're 1-4. Dallas has now lost three in a row. They're 3-3. Three three. Sam Darnold came back, was wearing this extended, uh, not just shoulder pads, but flak jacket and spleen protector. Don't know if you saw the great Tracy Wolfson Uh, modeling it on the sideline. It was a pretty funny update from a sideline reporter. But yeah, Sam Darnold, gutsy start by him, and he hit Robbie Anderson for a monster touchdown in the first half, 92 yards. Le'Veon Bell had his first rushing touchdown of the year. Amari Cooper got hurt, not good. Dak Prescott got banged up, had to go into the concussion tent. He came back afterwards. Dallas was without starting tackles, Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith. That certainly didn't help. Brett Maher did hit a 62-yard field goal. Good for those of us in fantasy, but otherwise didn't factor. Uh, late in the game, they were, count them, six straight penalties in a row. Six straight plays with penalties in a row at the end of the game before the Dak Prescott touchdown that got him close. Two-point conversion got blown up by a Greg Williams zero blitz, which is what he does. Dallas 
hosts the Eagles on bum, 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 Sunday night football, and the Jets host the Patriots on Monday night. Pittsburgh, San Diego was too late for this edition of the Zabecast. However, I promised you the Chargers were the Blood Bank special minus six and a half against a one double A rookie quarterback in prime time. Well, as I sit here and record this on Sunday night, Mr. One Double A is up 21 to fucking nothing. I I I give up. I quit. I'm not betting another NFL game again. You'll be back. You're right, I will be back. Monday night, Detroit and Green Bay. This is a big one for the Packers. Detroit has won four straight in this series. They used to be Green Bay's bitch. And Green Bay is going to have to do it without Darnell Savage in that excellent takeaway secondary. So Packers are minus four tonight, Monday night, against the Lions. I'm going to take the Lions plus. Not because I'm a hater. Just I think there's a little bit of value right there. All right, let's get to some other NFL stuff. The officiating in the league is currently as bad as it has been in my lifetime. And I try not to be one of those guys. Mr. Complains about the refs guys. And you know my stance on replay. But I'm not even talking about replay. I'm just saying the overall administration of the sport itself, of the games we're watching, has never been worse. And I think a lot of it is there's too many new crew chiefs out there that have taken the place of guys who were, I think, chased out of the league. Now, I don't know for sure why John Perry, Ed Hockley, Gene Steratore all ended up retiring in a short span of time. Terry McCauley is another one. Those are the four like best guys in the league that we had just a couple years ago. Perry, Hockley, Steratore, McCauley. Now, they're all on TV now. And you could say, well, that's the answer. They got better jobs on TV. Why isn't the NFL, though, not making sure to go, hey, these guys are really good. They keep, they keep shit together in big moments when the, you need to clarify how does this penalty need to be administered. But you see, what the NFL did was they said, we're going to let Riverone and our staff in New York by video review everything. So it's kind of like the NFL has turned every NFL game on a Sunday into 16 individual check out yourself lines where you scan your own groceries. And if there's a problem, we got one guy, one supervisor in a vest who will wander between all the different machines to help you get unstuck. And that guy's Alberto Riveron. Yeah, it's not good is what it is. And here was a situation in the Chiefs game in which the only pick of the game for Mahomes was basically because the referees fucked up the call. Here was Tony Dungy on Football Night in America. Let's go back to the turning point of that game in your mind, Tony. Yeah, it was an interception. Uh, Mahomes only threw one today, but it was really, I think, just a bad, badly officiated play. He drops back, he sees the flag, he sees his receiver get tackled, takes a shot because he thinks he's got a free play. The officials drop the flag, they call it pass interference, and then somehow word gets to them that it can't be interference because Travis Kelsey wasn't the intended receiver. But this is a penalty. This is what we saw. This is Kelsey pretty much got run to the ground, thrown to the ground by his shoulder pads. Defensive holding instead, no flag. Nobody can believe it. We couldn't believe it watching it. The offensive pass interference, part of that review and pass interference has become a major concern. Coaches aren't getting the same answer and consistency. Mm-mm. And it's really troubling Tony and a lot of it your is. former colleagues as well. Yeah. Troubling everybody, but what's being done about it? Answer, nothing. 
it's a pity because the level of athleticism and the caliber of play could be spectacular, but it's too many penalties. They got to mandate we want fewer penalties. We want to let more things go. We want to slim the rule book down. I'm sorry I don't remember who told me this. It was either a text or a tweet or an email. I'm getting bombarded with digital messages from all over the place. Somebody said regarding the NFL rule book, they should tell each team, hey, submit to the league office one rule that you would like to see eliminated. And then instead of having, instead of having a meeting or a, uh, a committee hearing on all that, just take every idea and eliminate every single rule that's been suggested. You might get 20 to 25 different rules off the books. And don't say, but that's crazy. You're making a mockery. The rules can be anything you want them to be. More rules does not make for necessarily a better game. It just doesn't. The rules are what you, whatever you want them to be, more or less. I want fewer rules. I want fewer flags. And I want replay to die. Die a miserable death. Oh, uh, Jordan Reed's on the IR, Redskin fans. You probably know that already. This is the player who got his seventh concussion in the preseason, playing in a game that he shouldn't have been playing in, didn't really need to play in it, although, oh, you're going to get the timing down between him and Case Keenum. And you could say, well, so what? He got the concussion in preseason. He would have got it in week two or week three anyway. He needs to retire, obviously, because after the concussion, Dr. Jay Gruden insisted with a breezy brush of his hand, he'll be fine. Jordan's going to be fine. He's he's back practicing. I'm not worried about him. That was literally as the calendar flipped to September. He has missed every game, and now he's been put on IR for the rest of the year. It's time to retire. But as far as the Redskins go, I'm sort of like Jordan Reed. I'm, I'm done for the year. You probably noticed if you follow me on social media and on Twitter, at Zabe, you should, Charlie Zulu Alpha Bravo Echo, Come for the jokes and the snarks. Stay for the nutritional content and the important messages about show promotions and trips and everything else. But, um, yeah, uh, I didn't tweet during the game. Maybe once, maybe twice. I didn't do my, like, last week I was all super diligent. I had a little page of yellow sticky notes typed out. One for the first half, one for the second half. Some of you might have been looking around like, what happened to that? I'm like, no, fuck it. I'm not going to analyze this. This is extended preseason. This is now regular season preseason for the Redskins now that they pull the plug on Jay because there'll be a new coaching staff in. Callahan is not getting the fucking job. We know that. You got RB1 going to be gone. The quarterback one right now, Keenum, going to be gone. Colts going to be gone. It'll be Haskins and maybe a second guy. Who knows? But more importantly, here's the thing. I am emotionally out on this team until the day that Bruce Allen, that slithery, lying snake, that incompetent, name-trading douchebag is no longer drawing a check from Daniel M. Snyder. Oh, not reassigned. I don't want to hear that. We've reassigned Bruce to business affairs. Like, this will be the spin when they go and they spend way too much to get Mike Tomlin out of Pittsburgh. When they give the Steelers a first and a third and then make Tomlin the highest paid coach in the NFL and give him full control. Yeah, they're going to say, oh no, Bruce is still with us. He's just been reassigned. He's going to work on the stadium. I wish you could see my hand gestures right now. They're really silly and don't really apply, but still, I'm out. 
I'm out. I don't care if the team gets sort of good. If Bruce is there, my ability to root for them is completely compromised. I can't. I won't. He stirs in me such deep contempt, such genuine football hatred. It's hard to even express, but I'm doing a good job, aren't I? The day he's no longer drawing a check, forget reassign or anything else, then I can start. That'll be the start. That'll be day one of me trying to come around emotionally to rooting for this team. I'll be professionally here. Don't mistake me on that. Yeah, you weren't today. You didn't even tweet or analyze the game. Yeah, some pro. Okay. I'll try to be professionally here. But otherwise, nah. Because none of this shit this year matters. It doesn't make one bit of difference. Whole new cast of characters from top down with a new quarterback for next season. And then and then who knows what's going to happen after that. By the way, the Skins have $33 million worth of guys not playing for them right now. $20 million on the cap for Alex Smith. $10 million a year now on uh, Jordan Reed, who's on the IR. And $3.5 million of dead cap money as Trent Williams continues to hold out. A couple other random thoughts. I'm pretty much so done with the end zone turnover picture. I think we have enough of those. Every team, every turnover, doesn't matter. Let's get a group photo. And they all do the same pose now. Same pose. One guy with his arms folded. Another guy with his arms out. Cocked head. Yeah, we bad. We bad. We got a turnover. Hey, defense. What you want, a cookie? That's what you're supposed to do. It's gone the way of the icky shuffle and the T-bow. Uh, T-bowing. So let's move on. I've never seen a pregame show with millionaire talent more ill-prepared and lightly informed of what is actually going on in the league than they have on Fox. Jimmy... Terry, Howie, they're all flat out terrible. I used to kind of respect Howie because he seemed like he had the most of a clue. But no, it's almost like they must just go and live this fabulous millionaire lifestyle completely away from the NFL and they get airdropped into the studio on Sunday morning and they're like, all right, where's my notes? All right, what's going on? It's amazing. And yet every week it's the same. I know, it's my fault. I'm watching a pregame show. The NFL likes to steal from their players. And while it seems like not a lot in the big scheme of things, it's still stealing. And Demora Smith should do something about it. These fines that are levied players after the fact on Monday and Tuesday are ridiculous. The latest example is Aaron Jones of the Packers, who was fined $10,000 for waving at a Dallas defender on his way into the end zone. Guess what? The same NFL that took the 10 grand out of his pocket used that highlight in a Twitter feed bragging about Aaron Jones shows the Cowboys whose house it really is with the highlight of the action that they're supposedly discouraging by finding the players to say, no, no, we don't want that. Don't do that. So you're finding them to discourage in theory, and then they're using it to promote on social media. Hmm. Maybe you don't really want to discourage it. Maybe you just want to steal 10 grand from the players piece by piece. All that said, I don't care for it. It was not any spectacular play by Aaron Jones. He simply had the corner. He had the edge on the defender who I didn't have to look at the play. I don't know if he took a bad angle or not, or if he was just blocked. 
That's what happens sometimes. You beat guys. There was a four-yard run. The whole taunting and the waving shit. Eh, enough of it already. I know, I sound like an old man, don't I? And one more thing while I'm being grumpy. J.P. Finley, who I like and uh, does a good job for NBC Sports Washington, seems to always have to tweet out about fans, Redskin fans, at opposing stadiums. Like, boy, I tell you, there's a, there's a lot of Redskin fans here today. Man, there's fans of every team. Wearing jerseys, wearing colors, being idiots, getting drunk, having a good time, who are in every city. They may not have traveled. A few have, but many of them probably haven't. They're probably just there. They've been reassigned. They were a Redskin fan at birth. They remember when the Redskins were good. They're old enough. They're 78 years old. They can remember when the Redskins were once good. All this tweeting about it is just, I don't know. Uh, maybe because NBC Sports Washington does have a relationship with the Redskins. They want to keep that relationship nice and cozy. Uh, that they make sure to say, hey, a lot of Redskin fans out here. Who fucking cares? There's a handful of dipwads out there in their uh, Kirk Cousins number eight jersey. You got one of those? Yeah, I do. Sorry. Also, Pete Haley for NBC Sports Washington. He always does a fan story. That's sort of his beat. Hey, it's got to Pete Haley. He's with some fans. Tailgating. Go Redskins, number one, always. We love you, man. So what if you're winless? I just don't know. I guess I don't have an appetite for that at this point of the season. And then there's one more. Mr. Mike Francesa, Mr. New York City, Mr. Tuned In to what's going on in New York. Nothing gets by Francesa when it comes to the Giants or the Jets. This guy is wired. This guy used to be, did you know, the lead researcher for CBS. That's how he clawed his way to fame, stardom, and millions. Well, he was caught in a flat-footed lie by Funhouse on Twitter at back after this. And I know, I know it's a shocker, but he changed his story regarding the possible season-ending mono case on one Sam Darnold, who was a winner on Sunday against the Cowboys. Leave it to leave it to the doctors. Would they be rushing him in? No, listen, they would not clear him medically unless they believe he's healthy. I'm telling you right now, these doctors, you know what? These are the top doctors. They all have top doctors. You will hear Dr. O'Brien in a couple of minutes talk about Donald, and he will tell you, since I think their orthopedic guy, now this isn't an orthopedic decision, but their orthopedic guy, I believe, trained under Dr. O'Brien. So uh, most of them well, come Dr. through. Dr. O'Brien Spencer. said he could be out all year. He though. said I mean, that, I that that's not what he said, though. He said that it is impossible to predict that the spleen is 100% healthy. Now, they went with their indicators that he's healthy. No one thought he was going to be out all year, but he meant that it was a very ticklish thing. There he says, nobody said he might be out all year. Nobody thought he could be out all year. That's what he said, Frances, on Friday. Here's what he said when the injury happened several weeks ago. And... I mean, I know a lot of people, doctors, and O'Brien said it first, and a couple of other guys have said it also, that he could be out for the season. <laughs> no one thought he was going to be out all year. He could be out for the season. <laughs> I got it. It must be great to go through life like that. I'd just love to know, does Francesa have beers and laughs going, yeah, I lied again today on the air. <laughs> Who's going to stop me, man? Still making a ton of money. Not as much as I used to before I retired ill-fated retirement that didn't work out but still oh god i love lying so funny who's gonna stop me yeah sure they've got it on twitter it's not a lie if you believe it 
We'll end on this today. All hail Iliud Kipchoge on setting a new world record for a marathon distance run in under two hours. All right, so there it was. Now, I immediately, because I'll be honest, I'm not current on the latest in running news. I immediately went to the story to find out, okay, which marathon was this? Boston, New York, where where was this? And so I pull up this story from uh, Sky News. Okay, it's a reputable news outlet. And I'll just skim along here and you tell me what is frustrating about this. Eliud Kipchoge, marathon star, smashes two-hour barrier to make history. Uh, the athletic achievement by the 34-year-old Kenyan is considered the holy grail of running and secures his legendary status. Okay, great. Yada, 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 yada. World marathon record holder, achievement. Uh, Kipchoge was even able to wave to the crowds as he sprinted toward the finish line and completed the race, the 26.2-mile distance, in an incredible one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds, a full 20 seconds ahead of the two-hour mark. Um, in a jubilant scene, the beaming Kipchoge showed no signs of exertion from the grueling course, continued running as he celebrated with well-wishers and was embraced by his wife. Kipchoge, I'm feeling good. I want to inspire many people that no human is limited. Okay, great. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Where the fuck was this? What was this? Kipchoge was assisted in his quest by a team of 41 pace setters, including former Olympic and world record holders, and a support car shining lasers on the road. Oh, wait a minute. So I get it now because as he was crossing the finish line, I saw a bunch of guys right behind him waving and celebrating. And I'm thinking, well, why don't you guys try to break the two-hour marathon? You're, you're right there. You're only like five seconds behind him. Run harder. Beat him. No, they were pace setters. This was not an actual marathon race. It was a marathon distance. It was a made for, if not television, it was a made for something vision stunt of sorts. I'm not trying to diminish it, by the way. It's phenomenal. It's unbelievable. They say to replicate the pace that he ran for two hours. They say to simulate it, you got to get on your treadmill and crank it up to 12 or 13 miles per hour. Many people took to that challenge on Sunday and videotaped it, including fairly accomplished runners. They had a hard time keeping up a 13-mile-per-hour pace for one minute, much less for two hours. More quotes, more graphs, yada, 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 yada. Oh, here it is. The landmark feat will not stand as an official record because it was not in open competition and used pace setters. However, it marks a major milestone in running in world sport alongside Sir Roger Roger Bannister, the first person to break the four-minute mile. Happened in Vienna. I don't know. I'm kind of old school when it comes to my journalism. I think all that information should have been in the first two or three graphs. 
don't you think? Put it up near the top and then fill me in on all of the quotes from his family and his friends and everything else. Would have saved me a little bit of time. That said, holy shit, that's pretty impressive. The human achievement, once again, humans achieving things that were once thought to be impossible. Like someday getting Bruce Allen fired. We thought it was impossible. One day, it'll actually happen. From my lips to God's ears. That will do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. It is going to be a five-star sports watching night. The Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football screen one. The, the Nationals and the Cardinals on screen two. Some sport to be named later on screen three. Who knows? But it's going to be fun. Thanks again for stopping in. Tell a couple friends. Rate and review. It helps with the algorithm. And we will see you next time. Gambling on football, you say? Well, well, well. If you've done it before, you want to get back into it, or you just want another place to reliably play where you know when you win, you're going to get paid. Because remember, that's the whole deal. Winning is nice, getting paid even nicer. Thank you, Mr. X, for the comment. Bottom line is this, my bookie, mybookie.ag. They've been with us now for two seasons. They are a solid book. They pay when you win, and they are very straightforward. Plus, they've got a great array of ways that you can wager on games, an excellent interface, excellent mobile app as well, and great customer service. You know, there have been... A small number of hiccups along the way, and people have emailed me directly and said, hey, I had a problem with my bookie. I send one email, boom, off to my rep at my bookie, and the problem is fixed like that. Mybookie.ag. Now listen, if you want to maybe bet a little bit and win big, try some parlays. They're kind of hard to hit, but they're fun to play, right? Join now, and my bookie will double your first deposit. That's mybookie.ag, one of the best in the business. It's where I play. It's where I recommend you have an account as well because you can never have too many. And right now, joining mybookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo to activate the offer. That's promo code ZABE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid.